As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today a very special human, an incredible lady. Her name is Lopa Vandermersch. She's many things. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner. She's a mother of two. She's a sustainability advocate. She's a TEDx speaker. She is a recovering cult member. And her adventurers have taken her around the world in search of health and fulfillment and deep energy. Two years ago, she became the founder and CEO of Rasa, which is an adaptogenic coffee alternative revolutionizing people's relationship to their energy and their state. I love this product as I have considered uh, Lopa creating an opportunity to have sponsors on my podcast. Now we got to a million unique downloads and, and my collaborator and I are like, okay, who do we want? <laughs> and you were the first person I, I wrote down. Wow. I'm honored by that. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. And I don't even know what it's going to look like yet, but I'm doing all the research now and figuring it out. But you're uh, you're in my top five. Oh, fantastic. Mostly because I can talk about it really easily because I know what it does for me, mm. your product. You know, one of the things I love is talking to women who have been extremely successful. And this is where I wanted to coincide with you. I would love to start by just hearing your trajectory, becoming a founder, mm -hmm. how that goes as a mother. Uh, and that's a good place to start, I feel. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so for me, Rasa is really a story of uh, alchemy, actually, um, turning shit into gold. And, uh, that starts with, I had an, just an unbelievably stressful year in 2015. That was when I left the cult, uh, weeks later had an emergency back surgery while I was pregnant with my first son, moved across the country, lost a beloved member of our family, um, had an, a, emergency traumatic cesarean birth, huge falling out with my family. I was, I was fried. Um, and you know, had, had complex PTSD that I was managing and also this beautiful young baby that was waking me up at all hours of the night. And I needed something to keep me going. And coffee's never been the right choice for my particular constitution. Um, same. Yeah. Um, Vata Pitta. Um, it's not even like, a. 
it's not any kind of pious choice. It's just like, no, nope, nope, thank you. Um, but even then I was like, dude, maybe this is just when you drink coffee. And I even have pretty staunch Ayurvedic friends that kind of told me on the sly that were, they were like, dude, mother, early motherhood is when you just like, fuck it all and just drink all the coffee. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yes, so, that you need. Yeah, that you just do that to get through. And like my nervous system was really deeply fried from from that six six month intense period. And, uh, you know, unsurprisingly coffee did not help. Um, <laughs> panic attacks, waking up in the middle of the night, you know, totally messing with my circadian rhythms, anxiety, jitters, the whole, the whole nine yards. And so I <clears throat> went out looking at all the alternatives out there and was like, really, this is it? Like, hang on a second. Like there's so many amazing herbs out there. And coffee is one of the few culturally accepted and celebrated bitter tastes. And, and so like, why couldn't we combine these two things, this dark, rich, robust cup, hot drink experience that we all love so much and some incredibly healthy herbs that support longevity and support the subtleizing of our energy and support us, you know, being our best self. Um, and so I, I, I hit a chord of inspiration and I'm so grateful in that context that I did. And I don't know that I would recommend to many people like, yeah, go ahead and start a business when you're recovering with, you know, CPS, TSD and have a young baby. You know, like, I don't think that, that would be my like recommended path, but in my case, it was this golden thread of inspiration that kept me going and kept me from kind of collapsing into, you know, the kind of despair that can come from when life is really hard on you. And, um, it brought me inspiration and it brought me something more than like, there's the, you know, a child is a fantastic inspiration for like, what am I healing myself for? Um, but so too is offering something to the world. And, um, so Rasa became in many ways, my raison d'etre and just, the the thing that kept me wanting to be better and be healthier and in a way also just not um as i was saying kind of collapsing into the what can happen in the aftermath um and uh so that was late 2015 um you know like basically was in beta for the first year and a half uh, maybe two years. Wait, yeah, we launched in hard launched in April of 2018, which happened to be when I was four weeks postpartum with my second son, which was totally not the timing that I was going for. Um, but there were numerous things that were very delayed, and um, <clears throat> so I'm like, you know, checking the website launch from my phone while I'm like, you know, soaked in the many fluids that happen after giving birth, um, and. Um, uh, and it's been quite, quite a ride, you know, it's been quite a trajectory. Definitely. Uh, we've, we've hit a, I was not the only person who was looking for a better way to energize. And, you know, you don't see many people out there being like, you know, I'm trying to get more coffee into my life. Um, it's just not really what's happening. And, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, we've gone from, from, you know, me, 
elbow deep blending herbs in my kitchen, just like actually stirring the herbs with my arms to being a $2 million business running out of my garage. Um, and we moved out of my garage last year. Um, finally, it was my garage and a shed and a shipping container in my driveway and my basement and like every nook and cranny in my house. It was like, okay, we got to get out of here. Um, and, um, wow. Yeah. And now we have our own space and a team of almost 20 people and um, uh, are about to do our first outside capital raise. So we've actually been completely bootstrapped until now um, and are going to become a partially community-owned business, which I'm incredibly excited about. We're going to be doing a crowdfunding um, coming up here this fall. And um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different pieces that I could go into there. You did ask specifically about the mothering piece. Um, I think it, it, this is maybe like a sobering perspective on it, but one of the things that I had to come to terms with in the first couple of years of it is that I, I was never going to be completely the mother that I wanted to be and completely the entrepreneur I wanted to be. Both of these are things that will take as much of your time and as att- attention as possible, and it will probably never feel like enough. And so I just had to let go of this idea of perfection and face this. Like it started as a feeling of like, I am facing constant failure every moment of the day. And then it became, uh, you know, what is the good enough version, um, of both of these. And, you know, we've attachment parented, um, really into the continuum concept as a parenting model. Um, for sure. And, you know, which is not a, like, a pretty time intensive, you know, approach to, to parenting. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why we operated out of our garage. We, we made a conscious decision that we, we wanted to be close to the kids and be available. And, you know, so that I could breastfeed and put down for a nap and do all those things. That's the most natural way, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're just about to have a baby or you have a small baby, please do check out the continuum concept. It completely worked for me. My child is 15. He's completely his own man, independent, super confident. Why? Because we spent time being available, not perfect, but available. That's how it is naturally in a village setting. Uh, In ancient times, everybody was just around. Nobody was commuting to an office with a computer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's bearing fruit. Yeah. It's bearing fruit that I can say. Yeah. I'm so glad that you have read it and raised your child in that way. I mean, that's the, like, if there's only one parenting book to read, like, if you only read that one, it's that. Um, I'll add into that Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn is absolutely fantastic. And there's a new one out right now called Hunt, Gather, Parent, which is also just phenomenal. Oh, that sounds good. Yes, right? (laughs) I want to pull at the thread, though, of something that you just said, which is um, that you will never be the mother that you want to be and you'll never be the entrepreneur that you want to be. And while I totally identify with that, I dare say, as you also then sort of qualified with it's you are good enough. And I think it's important for any parent listening to realize that as long as you're giving it your all in both regards, in both um, areas, you kind of can't go wrong. You know, you can apologize if you screw up and you can certainly do better the next time. 
But I appreciate that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. And one piece that actually gave me a lot of solace is I've been doing some work with my own, you know, attachment trauma and attachment wounding and stuff. Um, from the attachment perspective, kids are super resilient and they actually like scientifically, they require 30% attunement. So like you need to be attuned to them and really on their level and get them and like with them about 30% of the time. And like, that's the threshold for a secure attachment. So like, that's not 80%. That's not 90%. You know, it's not even 60%, like 30%. And I was like, when, when my therapist said that, I was like, Oh, I've got that. <laughs> you know, I've totally done that much. Um, and so, you know, getting to good enough. And, and I think this is a, you know, just another opportunity as there are so, so many to, to look at where do we get the pictures of what a good mother or parent is? Where do we get the pictures of what a good entrepreneur is? And like, how can we be self-referencing in our definition of success? And it's going to look different for each of us. And we're all here to bring something that will never be brought again <clears throat> um, in, in that way. It's a nice question. How can we be self-referencing instead of referencing some external, you know, comparative <laughs> survey? Very good. That's really good. I want to say also that the product itself, picturing you elbow deep in herbs, the product itself requires a touch of an education because there are lots of us who actually, for whom coffee is really just, whoa. It's much too much for our adrenals. And the care with which you have formulated these, these various different products within the Rasa family, it's pretty spectacular because I can actually feel the truth of the adaptogenic aspect, especially in some of the more chill um, products. So I just, I don't know. I just felt like that was important to say because it's not just, oh, here's a replacement for your coffee that's not caffeinated. It's like much deeper yeah, than that. Yeah, we we call it super functional because it's not just functional. And I'll um, just want to be sure and say, I am actually not an herbalist and I don't do the formulations. And we have a clinical herbalist on staff. He is a co-founder in the business and he does all the formulations. We actually have four herbalists on staff. And I think that's a really important distinction. Cause I mean, out there in the wellness world these days, there's so many companies that are just throwing some trendy herbs in a bag and you don't really know how much you're getting. They don't state the, you know, how much is in there. And, you know, a cup of the original Rasa has 3,500 milligrams of adaptogens per serving. <clears throat> and, you know, you don't, you just don't see that level of functionality. And, and when you have an herbalist formulating something, you know, like they're looking at the function of every single ingredient. He's also looking at the function of how they balance against each other and how we're balancing the whole system as one thing. Um, and then of, of course also, um, formulating for, to make it just freaking delicious and really functional. Um, so, uh, yeah, which it is. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just your, it's not just like, oh, it's a yummy beverage. And now I'm not having caffeine. I'm having this thing. And, and it's a, it's a different quality of energy than what caffeine gives you. And I think that that's, that can be for, for many people, um, a retraining of our nervous systems towards the calibration of like what, like we, we are all calibrated around like being 
pretty extreme. Like there's the cycle of uppers and downers that so many people do in terms of coffee and alcohol during the day. And, um, and we're, we're kind of yo-yoing our nervous system throughout the day. And that makes it harder to access the subtlety that we're all, you know, working to cultivate in terms of our awareness, in terms of our sensitivity of our bodies um, on the spiritual path. And so that yo-yo effect of coffee um, in, in terms of what it does to your energy. Not so much. Yeah, exactly. Not so much. It's a pretty blunt object for your nervous system and for, for your awareness. And so, um, you know, you might drink rasa and be like, well, I didn't get the high, but like, is that high sustainable? You know, like, I prefer to think of that high is taking drugs. You know, it is a widely socially accepted drug that we take in our society. Coffee is, and like drugs can be really fun. Just don't fucking do them every day. You know, like I'm the cool mom. I'm like, yeah, do it at our house and like, know what you're doing. Pay attention to how this you know, is going to affect your body, but don't do it every day. And, and then, you know, I, I still drink coffee probably once every other week or something like that. And man, does it feel amazing? And it works like a drug in that, in that kind of context. Um, but then I'm not habituating around it. And so it's one, a very effective toolkit tool in my toolkit and, um, to my normal energy state is calibrated to something that's more broad and more subtleized than the coffee experience. I think one of the most interesting sort of paradigm shifts was getting that calm blend that you make and drinking it in the afternoon, knowing that it wasn't going to keep me up at night. And it actually was more of like a relaxation than a lift. And it tastes so good. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. And the elderberry also, I love. Awesome. Yeah. That one's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So your kids are how old at this particular juncture? My oldest just turned six and my youngest is three. Oh, awesome. You're still a little bit in it there. Still a little bit in it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good that your work is elsewhere. And when you speak about who influenced you to have the confidence to create something like this, like founders don't just materialize. They're created over time. I found there are people that influence a founder profoundly and give a founder kind of um bedrock from mm. which to build. Can you name maybe one or two of those people for you? It's a great question. Um, and it's interesting because there's, there's so many, you know, I think, I think about, um, Steve Jobs did this commencement speech for, a college. I can't remember which one, but it was, I, it, I think it was made into a Ted talk or something like that a long time ago. And now he talks about how, <clears throat> every aspect of your life might be coming together to this, you know, this one event. And you can't even like realize how the calligraphy class that you took in college is going to apply to the business that you found, you know, that changes the world and that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, in many ways, like I can look back and be like, wow, there was that detail and that bit of inspiration, this exposure to marketing and this, you know, all these different things that, you know, the sum of my experiences and so many people that, that touched and inspired and encouraged and, you know, pushed me along. But, um, to get 
to specific people, I mean, first and foremost, my husband. Um, and that's a, a wonderful feeling. And I know that, you know, for many people, their partner is that bedrock, but, um, in a very real way, he was like, I think this business is a great idea. And, um, I wouldn't like, he, like he's, he's a great bullshit detector in the business world. And, uh, he was like, no, I really think that you should go forward with this. And he has been, you know, just absolutely a foundational support, um, from a strategic side and from a, you know, founder coaching side and, you know, all of that. And absolutely agree with you that, um, founders are made over time and it's not a moment. I mean, I've been continuing to, grow into leadership and what does it mean to be a founder and what does it mean to be a CEO? And that feels like it, you know, changes in these leaps and bounds, you know, like every couple of months or so it's like, wow, I can't believe that was the leadership I was doing six months ago. And now here I am. Um, and I think if there's another particular person, um, you know, this like maybe as a non-conventional um, answer, but uh, the the cult I was in, there was a tremendous amount of questioning of my capability and my uh, motivations and things like that. And that actually ended up like being in such a uh, compromising context. You know, you ask yourself like, well, how in God's name did I get here? <laughs> Um, and the amount of kind of deepening into my sense of self and questioning on, you know, unquestioned dogmas that I had held before and all of that actually gave me so much more of that bedrock in myself. So in a way, the person who traumatized me the most actually like made me or contributed to me to becoming so much stronger and so much more, centered and confident and feeling capable myself because, uh, because of the hurt, because of the pain. Um, so, you know, can I'll I, am I allowed to ask you more questions about this experience? Sure. Where were you in the world? Bali between Bali and New York. She's based in Bali and this cult leader. Yeah. Uh, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I'm so intrigued. Is it something that's in the press? Would we know about it necessarily? There has been some press about it. If you Google the yoga barn guru, um, you will find something that uh, an article, I mean, there's many others, but um, that one in particular is pretty, you know, it, I'll say it goes pretty deeply into the um, sensationalist side of it. You know, and a lot of things are taken out of context as happens in journalism. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's just important to hold, you know, different things of like, you, you would read that article and be like, who the fuck gets into something like this? Um, but you, you never know that you're in a cult when, you know, or you're getting into a cult when you get into a cult for one. Um, and it's, uh, there's, there's plenty of good there. I mean, just like she, she's an amazingly powerful person and has real, powerful, beautiful, deep, transformative tantric teachings. Um, and that's what I was there for. Um, and I think, you know, just knowing that a lot of those of you listening right now are on a spiritual path. Um, I was really wooed by, um, 
mystical manifestations, you know, like there magical things happened around her and I had, you know, psychedelic experiences without a single drug, um, you know, it was really amazing. And I mistook that for realization and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, in fact, often it's not, if somebody's kind of showing off that kind of stuff then it's like, mm, uh, you got stuck somewhere along the way. Um, so just as like a reminder to people, like if you are in a context like that and you're like, oh wow. And then I saw this thing and it was, you know, like that doesn't mean that's, that's the real deal. Um, and I, and I, uh, got confused in that, in that regard. Wow. It's pretty amazing to think about, you know, I've had experiences where I think I was sort of in something like that, but I, it wasn't like in one particular place or at one particular time under one roof, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there was still this draw toward seeing one person as an answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind of, kind of can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very comforting that possibility. (laughs) Let's talk about how long that went on for. About a year and a half. So not super long. Yeah, not super long. Okay. Is she in jail? What is... Still teaching. Wow. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and that's just always such an interesting question. You know, it's like the multiplicity of experience. Some people have a wonderful experience with her. Um, usually in those kinds of contexts, the deeper you go, the more wacky it gets. Um, and, uh, so I think there are many, many sort of outer students that, you know, are like, why, what do you mean? This is she's wonderful. Um, but then as you get closer and closer to the inner circle, then, um, more and more of the, um, trauma bonds and the narcissistic tendencies and, you know, all those sorts of things start to come out. I know it well. Well, I'm glad you got out of there. Yeah. And, and you know, for context too, uh, they, they call, um, in, in the cult academia world, they call an abusive relationship a cult of two. Um, so many more of us have been in cult context and, and can have that kind of experience of like, oh, okay, now I understand like how you get into something like this if you've ever been in, in an abusive relationship context. Wow. And is she still teaching at the same place? No, no, no. We, we, uh, yeah, we, we helped that happen. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. So I think that's the end of my questioning. I get so curious about these things. I have a slight obsession with learning more about such things. It's so fascinating. And I have done a couple of other podcasts as well, um, where we went pretty deep on, on this stuff. Cause it is, it's what, I mean, if we go to like a dinner gathering or something and my husband was with me in the cult as well, and it's kind of a miracle that we made it out together. And, um, yeah, if we say like, oh yeah, you know, mention the cult or something, it's like the record stops and it's like everybody's just asking questions for like three hours. Um, so I really understand. It's very, uh, it's it's a very you know juicy topic. It's it's like how do we find our self sense of self and the path and abuse of power and you know all of these things are very intriguing to our minds. Well, I'm glad that's been that's been over for the last probably five years. I guess what you said, 2016 or so. Yeah. 2050. That's great. So I think the last sort of frontier that I wanted to discuss with you is if you were teaching a class 
to, let's say, college-aged or even high school-aged humans who were interested in becoming founders of companies, what would be the sort of top two or three absolutely fundamental pieces of advice that you would offer to those kids? Mm. Calibrate your idea and your vision. So what I mean by that is um, I, I see a lot of, of um, I, I get a lot of people asking me like, how do you do this? And how did you build this? And, you know, that sort of thing. And, and sometimes I go and, and check people out and I see that um, there's often a trying to build something that where they maybe have a vision of how big it can be and it's not actually right sized to the idea and you will suffer so much less if you, if you calibrate both of those things, because if you have this idea, like, um, you know, and I'm, you know, there's, there's so many different examples, but like, uh, one of the ones that I like to harp on a lot is like, there's, there's a lot of kale chips out there in the world now, (laughs) um, very many brands of kale chips and, um, not a great example. And I'm sure there's, you know, I, I freaking love kale chips and not like harping on that particular one, but there's a lot of sort of innovation on an existing idea that doesn't actually take the idea very much further at all. It's like, Oh, we got a new flavor or we, you know, have a different brand, um, or something like that. And, um, often those types of lookalike products, um, and lookalike, um, kind of ideas just don't have as much traction because there's not as much innovation happening. Um, and so, um, and that kind of connects to what I would say is the next one, which is, um, you know, make sure it's something that you're willing to like die on the sword for, you know, because, uh, the amount of work that it takes to create something in the world, like you're going up against, inertia. You're going up against like the, the matrix of reality that does not have your thing in it. Um, and so you have to push up against that and create, you know, make way for this thing to exist. And so, uh, make sure that it's something that, you know, you are totally down to live, breathe, eat, sleep, sweat, cry, um, for, you know, for, for a long time and, and ask that question of like, if this did not succeed, you know, would it still have been worth it? Um, so make sure that it's something that you're really passionate about. And if what you're really passionate about is like, well, I'm going to really be able to serve a community of people. Um, and my, you know, maybe you have a service offering or you have a, you know, and then it's going to be more localized, like just make sure that your vision is sort of right size for what, uh, that is. And then you can also always expand the vision, um, as you continue to go out. And I think, and I, and I say that just cause I see so many people get disheartened because, you know, they're not a multimillion dollar business within, you know, like a couple of years or something like that. And it's just, it's, it's hard to do. Um, and, uh, starting with something that's like, just a little bit smaller, unless you like your vision is huge and you know, it's possible and you will climb any mountain to get there. You know, like if you have that and you're just gripped by something, you know, then, you know, shoot for the stars. Um, but I, I really love the concept of, um, the Japanese word called ikigai. Um, yes. Yes. 
And so you really want like that, uh, like that would be advice number three. Look at that. Like, what are you good at? What do you love? What does the world need? What will the world pay you for? Do all of those come together? Boom, do that. And, and just, you know, carry on. The word is I-K-I-G-A-I, and it kind of means what you're meant, what you, what you came to this life to do, your reason for being, your raison d'être, as you said en français. <laughs> Such a good word. But it means more than that, as, as all those Japanese words do, where it means this sort of in English, but it's a bigger, m- more subtle concept, I think. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much. Is there, how's the best way for our listener to connect with your work and to connect, of course, with Rasa? Yeah. Um, So Rasa, we are, we are at, we are Rasa on all the socials. Um, So at we are Rasa on Instagram slash we are Rasa on Facebook. Um, and my personal Instagram, which I'm starting to get a little bit more into, um, is Lopa loves you. Um, and, sweet. Yeah. Um, and then our website is we Why the aversion to Instagram lastly? <laughs> um, I experience social media in general to fragment my awareness. Um, And one of the things that I've noticed is it literally feels like I leave little tiny energetic pieces of myself out there on the internet. And I've noticed that when I am less engaged in social media, uh, that I just, it's like my, my consciousness kind of localizes and centralizes and I have more access to higher states of awareness just more easily. And that when I'm out there a lot, it's like, there's just a lot of like short interactions and short, you know, like lots of little things. Um, and so that said, the connections that you can find and the ways that you can impact people and impact each other are really unique and special in the social media world. And so I am, working to find, you know, just little micro habits to, um, to support the both end. Um, and one of the things that I've actually been doing is sort of like, okay, I'm consciously going to do social media for a bit. Um, I engage, I scroll, I comment on other people's things, whatever I post my thing and respond to comments. And then when I'm done, I just take a couple of breaths. I put one hand on my heart, one hand on my belly and sort of like consciously gather my energy, call my energy all back into my body and, uh, sort of ground back in. And that, that really does seem to help. Um, but you know, I think social media is very much a double-edged sword and it's about how you use it. And, um, you know, sometimes it feels like with all that I'm handling with the business and motherhood that I, I, I can't use it as responsibly as I would like. Like I don't have enough chutzpah to manage that thing as well, um, really well from a high integrity yogi perspective. Um, and so I try and engage with it, like really have some self-awareness of, am I using this in a way that nurtures and uplifts me? Or am I using it in a way that is draining and depleting me? Um, and I look at everything through the lens of, of energy, you know, like how, where is my energy at? How is my energy um, being used and being applied and focused? Is it growing or is it draining? Super helpful. Super helpful. I was just speaking with uh, Laura McCowan on her podcast and we were talking about how I see it 
as uh, kind of like my own yearbook. I I post for my own delight, mm. you know, just for fun. And sometimes it helps and sometimes it's just for me. And, but I really appreciate the sort of, uh, the visual image of leaving little parts of yourself everywhere. And it does balance the scales for me. Mm. Great. That's the most important thing. Yep. So thank you, my dear. Um, you are a great dose of inspiration for so many of us. The Rasa products are literally the best out there. If you're looking for some sort of adaptogenic drink for daily use that could, might replace your coffee and probably other things, we are rasa.com is where to go. Yes. And I almost forgot to mention, um, we do have a discount code for you guys. Wow. Uh, practice you for 15% off your order. Oh my gosh. Practice you 15% off. Amazing. When the uh, episode comes out, I'll be sure to talk about that also on Instagram. Awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we thank you and send you so much love, Lopa. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.